I, Charles the Fourth, or is it the Third? Bloody pain. We will strive for the denazification of the Let me put it to you. Yes, if you win by one, you've won. The throne went over the side. It is time to draw him I just think everyone should be sure. What the fuck is going on? Hello, I'm Mark Steele. Welcome to my podcast, where each week I ask the question. What the fuck is going on? Economics can be a complicated subject, especially when energy prices and interest rates and mortgages are all rising disastrously. And this is why we need experts who can explain how to deal with all this in simple terms that we can understand. So we're lucky that Rishi Sunak can do that. And he told us the way to cope with mortgages going up by hundreds of pounds a month is to hold your nerve. When the bank asks why you haven't paid this month, hold your nerve and then the bill will come back down again. See, the reason people can't afford things when the price goes up is they get too anxious. If you learn how to breathe deeply and find inner calm, then the interest rates go back to 2% what they were before. This is why the Dalai Lama never ever runs short of cash, does he? Because he's so full of internal peace, he gets everything for free. I bet he hasn't paid for an orange robe for years, has he? He just tunes into his chakra and then Amazon delivers a batch of them every morning. And this is how we get energy prices down as well. We ask footballers who are used to taking penalties in World Cup shootouts to pay the bills because they're used to holding their nerve. And they're so good at it that N-Power just says, we'll boil kettles for you all day long. And it explains Rishi Sunak's wealth. Like any multimillionaire, he didn't panic when he bought a castle, did he? He held his nerve. And that's why by the end of the week, he was getting his drawbridge refurbished at no extra cost. Now, the reason we're receiving such calm wisdom is the Conservative Party has settled down after all the excitement of the last two years, and now it's back to the honesty and morals that it's always been known for. Boris Johnson was put firmly in his place for being judged to have lied and cheated and broken his own laws by being allowed to insert a selection of his mates into the House of Lords. And there should be a similar process for all criminals as an example of the tough action that will ensure dishonesty doesn't pay. If someone's convicted of armed robbery, they should be told firmly and with no right of appeal that they can nominate their dad and all their mates from the pub to be lords and ladies and wear long red gowns and be part of our actual government that passes our laws. Much of the Conservative Party insists Boris Johnson shouldn't have received any punishment at all. They make arguments such as, well, there may have been a lot of people at these illegal parties, but there were a far greater number who weren't at the parties. And so by going to the parties, the Prime Minister was doing his best to stay away from that much larger number that weren't at the parties. But the Liberal elite gives him no credit for that whatsoever. And others say that there shouldn't be a fuss about the parties at all. Because why is everybody making such a fuss about the rules? Everybody breaks the rules, don't they? So when Johnson was fined, he probably said, Ah, oh, these uh, fixed fixed penalty fines seem rather steep. So uh, I, I've asked my friend Lord Brownlow if he can stump up the cash, as it were. Uh, only nobody seems to be getting back to me these days. So what I've done? rather than pay it, is to uh, hold my nerve. And uh, that should do it. Hey, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is 
one incident that has upset a lot of people this week is the story of the schoolgirl who was allowed to identify as a cat. And the fact that it didn't happen doesn't make this story in any way less disturbing, especially for this woman who I heard on a phone-in show. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy, sick of it. All these school children identifying as cats. I mean, where's it going to end? What if one of them identifies as a lion and eats the teacher? How's he going to mark their homework with his arms ripped off? And what about my next-door neighbour? She's got three kids. Well, I don't want them meowing all night, jumping over me fence and shitting in me garden. What if one of them gets stuck up a tree and they have to call the fire brigade? Who's going to be paying for that? Muggins, as usual. And it won't just be child benefit they're getting, they'll be claiming cat benefits, demanding money for balls of string to chase, expecting a litter tray allowance. What if one of them wants a tail? I suppose we'll have to pay for that on the NHS. Oh, eight months I've been waiting to have my appendix out. I phoned the receptionist. She said, you've already had it out. I said, well, put another one in and take that out. I'm not spending all that time on the waiting list for nothing. I bet if I said I was a cat, they'd have me straight down the vets and he'd do it. Someone said all this cat business is made up. They just do it to sell newspapers. Well, that is not what is said in the Daily Mail. Apparently, Meghan Markle identifies as an otter. So now we have to all catch fish for her or we'll go to prison. Oh, I'm sick of it, Jeremy. Sick of it. Well, it's a very, very special moment now, podcasters, because we all know that there is no possibility of sorting this world out let alone working out what the fuck is going on with that expert advice and such an expert we have is mr pete sinclair who acts as producer on this very very podcast how much more of an expert you can get than that now if you were of a cynical disposition you might say i bet the guests that they had lined up (laughs) pulled out at the last minute I bet they had. I bet they thought, "Oh, Mick Jagger's agreed to do it. Oh, Joanna Lumley's agreed to do it. I bet that's what's happened." And they've pulled out at the last minute. But none of that is true. In fact, no, exactly. He agreed to do it, and then Mick Jagger come on and uh, he rang me this morning. <laughs> yeah, oh, I want to be on your part. I said, "Fuck Mick. Fuck off. I've told you." I've told you, you've got to wait your turn. Fucking hell, but we're on a tour and I might not make it tonight. And Keith's fucking hard demanding. So, Pete Sinclair. Hello, Mark. <laughs> How you doing? You are too. This, this morning, I've been making a podcast with, oh, right. uh, okay. with, with you. Now, I want to talk about the very early stages of your career. Not the, uh, not the entertainment. We talk about people in entertainment, but you, and we share this, were a milkman. Absolutely. Express dairies as well. Both express dairies. Yeah. I think that's very impressive. Di- I was yes. I was Rickmansworth depot. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, Rickmansworth was, that was San Francisco to me. I mean, that, that was such a, a anywhere so, as glorious as that. The other side of it, I didn't think anywhere that existed. But, but yeah, I think you were much, much better at it than me. Not that that's a... <laughs> <laughs> high bar to cross because I was terrible. 
but uh, but you actually sort of delivered the milk and took the money and everything. I did. I had a, I had a couple of years of doing it. Actually, it was quite nice. It was a countryside round. So the only problem was that the uh, the battery would run out. I mean, there was the winters where you get snowed in. You put the chains on the milk float. You probably remember that. Um, but I did the the thing that I a story and I I'd forgotten and you you actually told this story once and I thought oh god yes. yeah and this is was. It was out in the sort of Flaunden or Cheney's or something like this. And what I used to do is I used to have a sort of bit which would go around the depot and then you'd have to go right out into the countryside to do the the, the sticks. Oh, yeah. And there was this one old boy who lived Long Lane, it was, and he used to order one pint of sterilised milk, I think it was. Oh, in those sterilized, big tall yeah, bottles in those days, yeah. And a Hovis loaf and a tin of ambrosia creamed rice. And it was like, okay, right, fair enough. And that was like sort of once Every a day. week. No, we only only delivered about twice a week. Even then, he was, he, he was only every other day out there because you couldn't cover the whole round. So, but I would, once a week, he had this ambrosia creamed rice, tin of ambrosia creamed rice. And so what would happen is sometimes I'd go off and as you know, you'd have to gr- load up your groceries from the depot, you put them on the back of the van yeah. and everything like that. And I'd you be- had to order stuff specially, didn't you, That's sometimes, right. you if to- someone wanted a peculiar thing. God knows what it's like now if somebody orders bloody you know, organic lychees from fucking <laughs> Cuba or something. But yeah, you had to you order had to- something specially, yeah. You had to yeah. get it in. And um, so I'd be driving out and i think, oh, shit, I've forgotten this tin of ambrosia creamed rice. And i think... Oh, it's 10 minutes to get back to the depot and everything like that. And I just used to think, oh, but I can't let him down. I can imagine all oh, my creamed rice will be coming along. And so I'd sort of turn around, I'd go back to the depot, I'd go, oh, tin of cram- ambrosia creamed rice and put it on the van and get there. And and this carried on. And I sort of, I just think, why does he only get the ambrosia creamed rice for? Does he get a loaf of bread? Why doesn't he get the rest of his shopping? Or is this, you know, whatever. And then one day he just said to me, he said, here, milkman. Come in, come in. So I went into his little house and he sort of went over to a cupboard and he and he opened it up and he said, have a look at this. And from the floor to the ceiling of this cupboard was a <laughs> pile of tins of ambrosia creamed rice, just hundreds. And he obviously had just never... He'd obviously been thinking every week, oh, bloody hell, the milkman's going to bring me tinned rice. I can't let him down and not have it. And I just, all those journeys back to the depot, I'm just like, oh, God, what a waste of time. Just a magnificent administrative error. I reckon I reckon the bloke probably one day, the bloke before me said, here, do you fancy? He said, we've got anything on the back of your van, mate. And he said, oh, I've got some cream rice. And the next week, the bloke went, oh, do you like that? And he said, yeah, 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 yeah. Like, oh, bring you another tin and you get a little tiny bit of commission or whatever. And so it went on. So, it, so went it went on. on. I mean, I suppose, would it have been possible to say, we could, he could probably have got in the, Guinness Book of Records for making the biggest bowl of ambrosia tinned rice. He'd probably be in there now. Poor bloke, he'd probably be 123. And uh, that's me in the Guinness Book of Records. With a, with a, it's actually a third the size of Lake Windermere, and it's all ambrosia tinned rice. It was unbelievable. But yeah, yeah, it was all right. It was good days until you got bored and you'd sort of like, you'd know, you'd see a, a note in the bottle and you think, oh yeah, you always have an extra pint every Thursday. You go, extra pint, please. Milk. And they go, How do you know? And you think, because you always fucking do it. You always have an extra pint. Why don't you just change it to two pints on the Thursday? <laughs> I was so shit. The first Friday I did on my own, right, uh, 
So you're on a Friday, as you know, you have to knock for the money. So that's a long day. So instead of just running up and I, I, could you? Oh, first of all, you remember the all the courses? You remember going on a course? Oh yeah! Oh bloody yeah. hell yeah! Yeah, the stories I can't tell from that. I'm just I'm, I'm editing in my head about what you said about race relations on the oh bloody hell. <laughs> I, well, one of the things I was actually one of my first routines was about, and it's actually probably not that not that different to what I would do now. But it was there was a health and safety morning, and this health and safety bloke. Of course, they had to scare you, you know, like especially in those days. Yeah. Those were the days of the public information films. Don't walk on the ice. This is what happened. Well, ah! Walk on the ice, and you will drown, and so will all your family. Don't do it ever. That that sort of that all that, wasn't it? Yeah. So, in that tone, this bloke was uh, now. One thing I am going to ask you to do. I'm going to tell you to do is always take your hand crate because, as we know, if you're a milkman, what you would do is you'd pick up. I can still do it now. I can still carry like four Saving bottles it, in each. Absolutely. Yeah, I can yeah, yeah. Lift them out of a crate in muscle memory. You never forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, you mustn't do that. If you've got, if you're carrying more than one bottle, take your little hand crate, a little hand crate, then you put the bottles in the hand crate and walk up to the, the, the doorstep. Always, always use your hand crate. And then the routine, I can't remember what the bloke actually said in this course, but the routine I did when I first started was, now I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, one day I'm going to be in a bit of a rush. It won't matter too much if just today I don't bother putting the bottles into my hand crate. Well, let me tell you a story. There was a man in the Faversham branch who was a milkman, and he thought one day that he'd be clever because he was in a rush, he wouldn't need his hand crate. So he took the bottles without his hand crate. And do you know what happened to him? He was eaten by a runaway leopard. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> that was one of my first, first little routines I ever did, thanks to being oh, a milkman. Excellent. Now, that, but, but from milkman, I don't know what the headline writers would write, from Milkman too, uh, amongst the many thousand things that you've written on before this prestigious culmination of anyone's work, was Spitting Image. Yes. So from- that must be the th- programme that you, most people go, oh, what was it like working on that? Yeah, from delivering pints to delivering jokes. I think that's what I first uh, used to say when I uh, when I started out in this business. But yeah, Spitting Image. I mean, I think Have I Got News For You, to be fair as well, that's... Uh, that's another one, and and of course, Mark Steele's in town. Very happy to have my name on the uh, on the end credits of that. That's something else that people do uh, do tend to listen to. Um, but yeah, Spitting Image. Um, I was I was a massive fan. It was probably about series five before I sort of wrote for it. So I was already sitting at home going, "Oh my god, this is the best program ever." And then because of starting off in radio, things like Weekending and stuff, those kind of programs, which was like Spitting Image without the puppets and without the jokes and all that sort of stuff that's what we used to say but um um <laughs> then we got the producer from that went on to spitting image and took someone was with it and so i wrote for that for several years and, and it was interesting because 
I mean, yeah, it is. It's really, really fondly remembered, and rightly so, because at its best, it was, and it was so new. It was so the idea of like having the Queen Mother. I mean, even having the Queen Mother was a massive, massive. It was a news story that we're even going to have the Queen Mother. How dare they? It was a massive news story. I think that it's probably if you're less than fifty. I wonder if it's if it's possible to quite get the sense of drama that was. Because mm. it was on the front page of yeah, all the papers the for, that, for that week that spitting image is daring to have a puppet of the Queen Mother. Yeah, yeah. I Absolutely. mean, it was it was just a story. And then they couldn't do it, could they? They just, at the end of the programme, there was a little tiny Queen Mother come in the corner of the screen. I remember it very well. Like, millions of people. Are they going to do it? Yeah. Are they going to do it? Are they actually going to do it? A puppet of the Queen Mother? And then I think she did come on, didn't she, and said, oh, I thought I was going to be on or something. And she did, they yes, did it that's in this right, yeah. Beryl Reed voice, which was <laughs> fantastic and magnificent. But, you know, I think as, as you get more... Out, as that happens, then what do you do that's more outrageous and, and all that? But, you know, it was obviously, it was at, it, at its best, Spitting Image was brilliant. And and I think it was interesting because when the second incarnation of Spitting Image came around, and I went to see the musical recently, actually, which I thought, again, in, in places, very, very good. Better. Yeah, Al Murray's written a lot of that. Yeah, he? yeah. And Matt Ford, I thought, I think is one of the writers as well. Sean Foley, is that? Anyway. Right, um, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so you know, but. I mean, everyone loves to say, oh, it was much, much better in the old days. And in fact, when the second incarnation came and I, I got my free brick box trial to kind of, so I could check it out. And and I thought there's some really good sketches on it. And then there were others which weren't so good. And I kind of thought, am I right in thinking that that was the same back when I wrote for it? So I actually did. I actually uh, ordered a DVD of series eight, which was one of the kind of series that I was kind of, right. you know, definitely writing for it. And I watched and I thought, yeah, I mean, there are some brilliant sketches. If you put the best off uh, that series on, it would be every go, oh, it's classic spitting image. But there are also an awful lot of sketches and and basically to our modern eyes, very slow, very like, ah, now I mean, it's ah, bunch up, Jeffrey, you know, like, yes, sort of like yes, 30 yes. seconds, no, no, cabinet, we're here to go. And you think, God, get on with it. You know, it's like. Yes, um, interesting. It's it, like, I, but I think, isn't that something about, any anything sort of cultural that makes a huge impact, it's it's very difficult to explain it to people who weren't there at the time. It's like punk. I mean, if mm. you were to listen to, I remember sort of the first time my daughter, who is a um, you know music obsessive as we both are. So, um, but I remember the first time I sort of put the Pistols album on, and I'm not one of these people who thinks that punk is is was the greatest moment in music history i think quite the opposite of that but i but i i I was fully 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 in with it at the time and i think a lot of the stuff was brilliant but as a movement as a sort of just as a wild expression it was fantastic and i think the pistols album still stands up and when it starts holidays in the sun and i was trying to explain to her the impact and she was going what this because it sounds like such a sort of -of run-of-the-mill decent rock song no, but you got the record and you put this on and this was the first track and 
Yeah, you knew and everybody. This caused outrage. Yeah, everybody it, hated it. The title, never mind the bollocks. The, the whole is like the the very the Sex Pistols, the very idea that they existed. And well, even before that, I mean, David Bowie's another thing where I really think people do not realise that the sort of agenda bending and all that sort of stuff of yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, is it a boy or is it a girl? My 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 parents would say who were Scottish, hence why I went into a Scottish accent there. But but the the outrage, the dis. Gust, uh, uh, like how dare he come into our living rooms and be neither one thing nor the other? How dare he do these things? And you just think now, you just look at David Bowie as Ziggy Stardust or whatever, and you go, oh, well, you know. But it was, it was shocking. Yeah. It was a, it was an it absolute, was absolute challenge to everything they held dear. Yeah. It was, you know, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was, it was. I'm slightly distracted by uh, Elliot. He's still having left doing? his keys under the city. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot loses his go. keys that- probably 30 or 40 times a day. <laughs> that's, that's how he shocks and outrages you, you see. We used to listen to Punk, and what Elliot does is repeatedly lose his keys. And you go, how can any child of mine... If you, if you want to know mine- how to bring down the establishment, give Elliot Steele the keys to... The Tower of London. <laughs> Three minutes later, Tower of London is, is having to be demolished. The keys of he says he had them by the river. They might have dropped in. Aldgate is being <laughs> excavated. I, um, have you found him? He's got them. They Yay! were just there. <laughs> <laughs> All is well in the steel household. Fantastic. Thanks so much. Well, we now we now know what's going. Well, let's cancel the guest every week. Jagger will be fucking furious. You I promise. Think, I, this I week. think if you still got mixed number, I think we're ringing to next week. <laughs> Cheers. Thank Mark. you very much, Pete Sinclair. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com. What the fuck is going on? Tammy Beaumont this week became the first cricketer to score 200 for England in a women's test match. And who better to talk about the growth of women's cricket than deceased Yorkshire cricketer Fred Truman? Well, in my day, we had proper women's cricket. I mean, marvellous women. We had uh, Betty Grimethorpe. 
I mean, she weighed 163 in a morning. I mean, 163 sandwiches. Wonderful. I mean, the cheese and brown pickle, chung, tin salmon for the captain. Oh, delicious. I mean, and there was Doris Allerton. I mean, the, the umpires asked her if she wanted to use the heavy roller or the light roller on pigeon. I mean, she said, well, I'll have the hoover. And she vacuumed that wicket till it was spotless. I mean, you really wouldn't do that now. I can tell you that. I mean, <laughs> I mean, these days, these women want to bat and bowl and Lord knows what. I mean, in, in my day, the women had proper cricket skills. I mean, Amy Selby, she got a ball of wool and in half an hour, she'd knitted a sight screen. 40 foot high it were. Oh, and I mean, when pavilion burnt down, I mean, she baked a new one. Ooh, using self-raising flour. I mean, they wouldn't bother with that now. I mean, Ada Mortby. Oh, wonderful woman. She picked up a bat one day. I said, careful, sweetheart. That's dangerous, is that? I mean, she scored 123. But I mean, it must have been because she kept fainting and leading towards Borwick. One of them fits they have, I mean. <laughs> Eventually, umpire gave her out. She said, what's that for? He said, you've been out here four hours. I expect you'll have a baby soon, so I've got to think of safety. And I mean, she says, I'm not pregnant. But I mean, that's why they, they can't play cricket. I mean, you can't argue with umpire, but no good telling that to a woman, is it? <laughs> but these days, look at her, my give up. What the fuck is going on? What the fuck, what the fuck is going on? Thank you so much to all those of you who are now supporting us on Patreon. It is because of you that we can continue our quest to find out what the fuck is going on. And we're getting very close. If you would like to join these wonderful, virtuous, saintly, radiant people for as little as £2 a month, just follow the link on our Twitter page or go to www.patreon.com like people did in the olden days of 2021 and type in what the f is going on or to really really be at the forefront of finding out what the fuck is going on for just four pounds a month you will get a longer ad free version of the episode with extended interviews bonus sketches for example this week there is lieutenant colonel sir ambrose chisler's peregrine with another inside story about king charles iii and you'll get discounts on live shows which we will be doing more of later in the year and you'll get the episodes on Friday nights, unlike everyone else who has to wait until Saturday mornings, just meditating, sitting behind the settee, wondering what on earth to do with themselves. So go to www.patreon.com and type in what the F is going on to join the WTF community. Now, it's tradition in Britain that quite a lot of things slow down in the summer. I always found it amazing that people say, uh, well, nothing much happens really news-wise, politics-wise, but it, that can't be right, can it? Things can't stop happening just because it's it's summer. But one thing that will not slow down is the announcements. The world can't go by without unnecessary announcements. And we live in a world now where in shops and trains and and soon it will be in the street, there will be tannoys saying, please, please be careful to avoid the lampposts. Please be careful that there's been reports that later in the year it may rain if your walk takes seven months and lasts until the winter when the rain comes. Please take care to avoid the rain. Please do not bring any uh, electric guitars with a mile and a half long flex that you drag along the pavement uh, and drag it into a puddle as this could be dangerous. If you see a leaf that you've not seen before on your travels, please alert the British 
unusual leaf authorities uh, so that they can call the army and destroy it in a controlled explosion. But there aren't really many announcements this week on the uh, on the podcast. We will be doing live shows later, and I don't know when, I'll be honest, I don't know when, but we will be doing them later in the year. But, you know, that's between now and 31st of December, isn't it? Uh, and I've got some live shows. I've got another lot of live shows coming up. There, there'll be. I'm going. Oh, I'm going to Shrewsbury and uh, oh, Evesham. I don't know. If you go on Mark Steel Info, there'll be a Loughborough. I think they've only just been announced. These ones, so there'll be tickets there, and you can go to those. Now, most importantly, though, people have been getting in touch with us on our Patreon account as well as on Twitter, and they want to know what the fuck is going on with the little tiny detailed little, the minute eye of what the fuck is going on, that only the what the fuck is going on experts can possibly have a chance of, of fathoming out. Glenn Hickman, one of our Patreon supporters, says, I saw you in Telford tonight. You were amazing. Thank you very much, Glenn. But why would you use Brunel as an engineer in an example over Telford, when in Telford. Right, this is because I think I broke the mic stand, and I think as I sort of, you know, because it's a, it's, a, it's a show that's full of passion and energy. Uh, it, it's been likened to Beyonce many times. I think I swirled the mic stand around. I think I broke it, and I think I said, oh, I've gone and done that in an engineering place as well. Surely you've got someone like Brunel who could come up here and mend it or something while I was saying something. Well, I was trying to think of something to say, and you're telling me off for not thinking of the right local bloody engineer. That is harsh, Glenn Hickman. That is <laughs> that is a tough criticism. That uh, an improvised sudden response to a completely uh, unexpected snap in a mic stand that <laughs> during that moment I picked upon Brunel who is the go-to engineer if you want to just suddenly think of an engineer Brunel and I should have said Thomas Telford as I was in Telford what a I am so sorry I can apologize I can only apologize for insulting the engineering history of Telford uh Paul Granger friend of the podcast on Patreon says what the fuck is going on with the CEO of Southeast Water blaming people working from home for a hosepipe ban uh it then goes on to mention that he's been working from home himself uh since covid uh and he thought he was just getting on with the job without the expense of travel but what he's actually been doing is turning on every tap in the house and leaving them on um i no longer have cups of tea he says i now have buckets of tea yes i mentioned this to my show actually there was a <laughs> there were south southern water who I suppose are different from Southeast Water, I don't know. They once sent me a bill for £1,300. It was clearly a mistake. And when I finally got through to someone, and it took weeks and weeks to do it, they said, have you been using more water than usual? And in an attempt to try and amuse myself, I said, I know I shouldn't have done. I went, I did turn the house into a dolphinarium. And (laughs) it's probably now on their records you can't joke with these people. It's a bit like in the in the the film, the um, uh, you know, the sort of not not in a four. What's the film with with Robert De Niro as the engineer in it? You can't you can't mistakenly uh just joke with these people, or it just follows you round 
for Brazil. That's it. Yeah, you, it just follows you around forever. I remember when I was first earning a little bit of money as a stand-up in the sort of late 1980s, I guess, and I got into a conversation with someone at the tax office and they said, so is stand-up your only source of income? And I, I said, well, yeah, of course. And they said, you don't have any other sources of income? I said, well, look, all right, if you want me to say I'm a scrap metal dealer, I can say that. And then for years, every time I submitted my income to the tax people, they sent back a, a load of documents saying we require all of your income and expenses for your scrap metal dealing business. And I had to spend so long, <laughs> so long <laughs> trying to, and they were going, well, why would you have said that? And I, so uh yeah that dolphinarium thing didn't do me any favors but yeah you're quite right paul the ceo of southeast water blaming people working from home for a host part. i know the water companies all they have to do is provide water and and they i wonder it i don't know i'm not an expert on water but i wonder if one of the reasons why you might not have got as much fresh water as you might have is because where you do find fresh water you pour thousands of tons of turds into it i wonder if that's what if you've got a bloody load of water in the house and you think and someone says can i have a glass of water you might be struggling to go, oh, I'm not sure if you can have a glass of water. If earlier that morning you did a shit and put it in the sink and put it in all the cups. I wonder if that's something to do with it. Uh, but, yeah, working from home. Because people are still, you're not using any more water, are you? If you would still be somewhere, if you work from home, you're just in a different place. If you'd have gone to work. You'd have been in a different place and presumably still been using water. So I think the CEO of Southeast Water is under the impression that if you don't work from home, you go to work and disappear as an entity into a sort of, I don't know, some mist until you return home. You still, you still as a human being, will use the same amount of water. I don't know. Am I, am I uh, looking into this too closely? But I, as Paul it probably is. Tom Clark on Patreon asks, what the fuck is going on with all this Rick Gastly revisionism? I think you're very angry there about Rick Astley, uh, for people who aren't familiar. Uh, he was shite in 1987, and he's shite now, even if he does cover some of your favourite songs, my favourite songs, and isn't as big a prick as Morrissey. Is this because I said that I, I might think I... Oh, I know what it was. I mentioned on Twitter that there was uh i thought rick astley he was clearly very popular at glastonbury doing uh doing a load of smith covers and i put that um yeah i put that morrissey now that he's discredited should be uh should should there should be the same system as there is on have i got news for you with with have i got news for you presenters there should be a different guest morrissey every week and there could be like uh you know susanna reed one week and victoria corin mitchell or something Different, different, you know, Eamon Holmes, just Ed Balls, just a different guest Morrissey <laughs> every week. This charming man, and it'd be accepted to be um, Ed, but well, it could be me after that audition. Uh, yeah, I think that'd be, but I think he did well, Rick Astley. I don't, you know, I'm not a singer, but that that's quite hard to sing them songs and convey the sort of sense of um, external, existential, grief ridden misanthropic melancholic with a just a, a hint of fascism morrissiness 
<laughs> and I think Rick Gasly did that perfectly fine, and he wasn't that shit. Uh, I'm not going to be with you there. I think what the fuck, fuck is going. I do also think this is something. Now this is something I really think that when someone says that is shit, I think that is a very, very upside down way of complaining about something cultural. I think if you say it's not for me, I don't particularly get that unless something is demonstrably absolutely awful like if i was to try and play the guitar that would be objectively philosophically speaking a worse sound than if you were to hear uh axel rose play the guitar or brian may play the guitar uh so i i accept that <laughs> but I, I was amazed at the number of people who said the Arctic Monkeys were shit. They weren't shit, were they? You, the people who didn't like it just didn't like that particular way in which the Arctic Monkeys sung their songs. And they were going, and probably people who don't know them very much and only know the first album were going, yeah, why can't they be like they were 17 years ago, the last time I heard them? It's not fair. So I, and I think it's the same if you go, oh, I hate, Cricket, it's shit. I hate fishing, it's shit. I think what you, it, I think you would be. I mean, this very much is a, a, a sort of self-help podcast in many ways. <laughs> I think if you sort of go, oh, do you know what? I don't really get it. It's not really for me. The same way as I am with uh, thrash metal, for example. You know, the sort of not the old-fashioned heavy metal that's got a bit of a tune to it, like Black Sabbath, but the stuff that goes. <laughs> that that's i'll be honest that's not my cup of tea and but i think no i can see people like it so that's if they do that's up to them i don't think you can write off a whole genre or indeed rick rick astley um weren't expecting that as an answer tom were you Finally, thanks to the many people on Twitter who sent us a tweet by Steve Rosenberg, bless him, the BBC's Russia editor, who said <laughs> she took a picture of a car during the uh, the short-lived coup. And on the back of the car, well, it, Steve Rosenberg says, the car in front of us is driving through Moscow. I couldn't have put it better myself. And there was a huge sign on the back of the car that said, what the fuck is going on? And uh, uh, in English, clearly, clearly, we are now a major player in the future of Russia in this podcast. I I think that's quite possible that there are now hundreds of thousands of people in Moscow who listen to this podcast, and this is their this is the closest that they can get to working out what the fuck is going on. So I think we should we need to be very, very careful about what we say because I think the fate of the world's largest nation is very much in our hands. Uh, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> that is a reasonable question when a mercenary who used to be Vladimir Putin's caterer and sell hot dogs leads a coup that lasts a day during which time people all around the world are going, oh, he's going to be the new leader of Russia when uh, that was sort of unlikely. Um, but uh, yeah, what the fuck is going on is a very, very good question. And we're here to answer it. We will be, I'm sure there will be an announcement that we will be doing a live show in Ekaterinburg very, very soon. And we won't give up after a day and a half like that. Fucking idiot. 
Now, we all know the ritual. We have to say that it's not possible to work out what the fuck is going on without the voice of the younger generation, the generation that is nearly 27, the key generation, whatever they're called, Generation W, I don't know. And that is why we are lucky to have with us, very lucky to have with us, Mr. Elliot Steele. Hello. Uh, Very lucky to to have you with us because... These days, you are in various different bits of the world. Yeah, I'm always traveling around. Uh, where have you just come back from? Uh, Benidorm. Right. You're like, um, what are you like? Barack Obama. I don't know. Does he go around the world? Just, he... I don't know if he's ever been to Benidorm. <laughs> I bet he has. I don't think Barack Obama has ever been to Benidorm. What would he say if he went to Benidorm? Uh, I, I I think it'd be like this is the most racist bit of the world I have ever been to. But can we change it? <laughs> no, we immediately. No, we ask. can. You just want to do oh, a barack about it. This you just want to do exactly a barack about. Yeah, this is oh another pub with sky spots. This isn't even to do with anything that's been a dorm. All right, then pick mm. someone else then who All travels right. about a lot. What do you even do an impression of? No, no, I can't. You know, anyone. What and who do we? Michael <laughs> Michael Palin. Yeah, you're like Michael Palin. Of course you are. Yeah, that's much. That's much better. Yeah, uh, yeah. Benny Dorm. So what happens there then? Is it as uh, exciting as Las Vegas? Um, it's it's kind of just like it's basically like you see how like when Chinese people move somewhere, there's a Chinatown or like Little Italy or something like. It's just like little Britain in Spain. Right. That's all it is. It's just it's just Britain in Spain. So you go to get food somewhere and it's like egg and chips or you know, you really realise how bad British cuisine is when you're in another country representing the cuisine. And it's just it's just basically a thing with chips. That's what <laughs> we kind of do. We just don't really have anything. It's just it's like, oh yeah, a hot dog with chips. <laughs> but presumably, though, it's it's old Britain because New Britain obviously is fantastic food because you can get anything in London. So that wouldn't be the yeah, but it's food. not. It's not. It, look, it's not. It's not the. Are, are we completely honest with you? It's not the metropolitan elite going out there. <laughs> all right. It it's not. <laughs> It's if if you were to watch the World Cup out there, the knee would be booed. It, that is what would right, happen. Right. It's that kind of place, and I was really upset with how well I fitted in. <laughs> it, it's weird because you go into like one bar and it will be two euro fifty for a pint. Yeah, which is pretty good. Yeah. And then you'll go into another and it'll be seven euro a pint. Like you, there's no, no one knows what the economy of anything is, which, which makes it quite exciting when you got to get around and you're like, this round could financially cripple me or 
oh, like I'm going to get so much change from this tenor. Like it's it's quite exciting. That's marvellous that that's what you get from a holiday. The the wonderful thing about travel, you know, when sort of philosophers, when sort of, I don't know, Samuel Pepys or whoever, when they talked about the wonders of travel, when sort of 19th century writers, there is nothing greater to broaden the mind than to travel and see the cultures of other people. That's what they meant. Some people thought they meant it's wonderful to see the pyramids or it's extraordinary to experience the culture of Africa. But what they meant is, oh, I go one place is two quid and I pay seven quid. Fucking hell. Well worth going out there. <laughs> yeah, but that, that <laughs> like, uh, like I said, I, I wish I wasn't like that. I really wish. I, I would love to break the shackles of whatever bit of working class you have given you and mum have given me. But I, I would love to be the kind of person who goes away somewhere and enjoys the the, the architecture and the, and the culture and the people. But it was great. I didn't have to speak Spanish once. There was no... <laughs> I The beers were cheap. It was, it was, and look, yeah. look, I don't like that I'm like that. I went to Gibraltar and I thought it wasn't like that. I think, uh, strangely, I did one of the in-town shows in yeah. Gibraltar and I thought that it looks like that, but it actually isn't like that. It's actually much more Spanish and friendly towards Spanish than that, but but it looks like it. So there's all Sky Sports on everywhere and everything with chips and so on. And uh, I thought, oh God, I did the joke go, it go, yeah, because everything, the, the pubs will go British football in here. And British beer sold here, and I had a joke. Going, yeah, you expect to say you expect to see a chemist saying we sell British anusol. You don't want yeah. nothing Spanish going up there, and uh, and it yeah. But but in fact, they were actually really it is much more cultured place than the image. I think, but Benny Dorm is exactly like the image, is it? Yeah, it's exactly like it. you are just in it's what Britain would be like if we were a sunny, hot climate country. It's, it's what it would be. And yeah. it's just a very, and there, there was like, so one of the things that the, the stag, like, what he had all these like dares he had to do. And one of them was he had to kiss one of the other lads for 10 seconds. Oh, and right. he did it. And the table of blokes behind us were visibly. Visibly furious, <laughs> like really angry at the at the bulldog pub in in Benidorm. Is it called the bulldog? It was called the bulldog. Oh, um, fantastic! Do you remember going to Cyprus? You were about nine, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's just British people trying to sell you shit all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I remember walking along the beach there one day, walking on the beach, and and there's sort of this bloke come up, and you just think, oh, he's going to ask, can I borrow a cigarette or something? And he come up and he went, would you like to buy a twenty percent shares of a holiday cottage? I said, what? Just on the beach? They're what? just people going around selling timeshares yeah. in holiday things everywhere, and as a result of that, at the time. It's changed now in another fascinating way. But at the time, I think something like 15% of the population of Cyprus was were British people who'd bought sort of second home or bought, have moved out there. Uh, now, of course, it's Russians. A lot of Russians have gone to Cyprus. Mm. But uh, And 
and so there was all of that probably not quite as nice in a way but all of those the hotels the sky sports the everything with chips and all that there was loads of members speaking to quite a lot of people who didn't know who lived there for maybe 10 years didn't speak a word of greek never met people who were greek and so on all a lot that similar sort of thing and the bit that really made me laugh i think i did it in the act is we we went do you remember going to see there was a, a an aviary or something, a big sort of bird sanctuary. Oh, and yeah. there was a parrot, right? <laughs> and the bloke, uh, one of the sort of highlights was this bloke had this be- big, beautiful parrot, and he got the parrot to speak. And even the parrot spoke English. The <laughs> fucking parrot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I thought that's how much we've dominated this country and nobody thinks it's on. You think the, par- the parrot, ah, ah, yeah. <laughs> fuck it, fucking foreign food, fucking whatever it was. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so, Mr. Elliot Seal, very glad to have you back from Benny Dawn. We should be sending you out. If television was as it was 30 years ago, it would send you out to get getting pissed around the world with Elliot Steele. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you've liked it, rate it. And if you can be bothered, write a review. If you can't be bothered, take a long, hard look at yourself. Did Muhammad Ali give up because he couldn't be bothered? Did Captain Scott say, oh, we've got as far as Dover, that'll do, because he couldn't be bothered? Say to yourself, I will conquer this and write a review. If there is anything at all that you think I should be finding out what the fuck is going on with it, please send me a message on Twitter at WTF is going on pod. And we will look at every single message that you send. If you would like to become a WTF supporter and get early access to ad free extended versions for as little as two pounds a month, please visit our Patreon page. What the fuck is going on? was hosted by me, Mark Steele, with my guests Pete Sinclair and Elliot Steele. Voices by Sarah Alexander. It was written by Mark Steele and Pete Sinclair. Music by Willie Dowling. It was produced by Mike Benwell at Carousel Studios. What the fuck is going on? was brought to you by WTF Productions. Ah, hmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to Caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at Caskers.com.